imagine you're chasing something your entire life that you think is outside of yourself and you wake up one day and realize you simply had it within. It wasn't in money, marriage, accomplishments, or having babies. The fulfillment is reserved for those that are dangerous enough to find home within themselves. That is my goal here for you. I want you to redefine what rich looks like for you. I'm Jessica Hurley. Welcome to Rich in Real Life. Y'all, we are back for another episode of Rich in Real Life. I am your host, Jessica Hurley, and this is probably going to be (laughs) the most jaw-dropping episode, honest, transparent, and necessary conversation I have probably ever had on Rich in Real Life, and I am so excited, and here's why. I have spent the majority of my podcast career over the last five years trying to put words to feelings that you have that a lot of times we together cannot explain. I am obsessed with putting words to your feelings. And I will tell you that I met my flipping match when I met this woman because she puts words to culture, equity, privilege, so many things that are happening circumstantially in our external world that a lot of times we don't speak on, we don't act on, we don't converse about because we don't know how. And I am very guilty of this. And having these conversations with her, just her explaining some of the words and the things that we're going to talk about are going to, they have changed my life. And so I want to give this to you because I know it is going to change yours and the way in which you show up in the world. So This incredible human is the author of two great books. She is the author of Allies and Advocates and a book that is called Say More About That. And trust me when I tell you, you are going to learn from her today how to say more about that. She is an award-winning inclusion strategist. She is the podcast host of Guilty Privilege. She is a founder, an incredible creator, and I truly believe an incredible human. And so I am honored to have her today. So let's welcome to Rich in Real Life, Amber Cabral. I feel like there should be a round of applause. Like, <laughs> I'm like, can you just come with me everywhere? I need to be introduced. Like, that was amazing. Everyone says that. They're like, can you just introduce me Please. everywhere I like, go? Let me get the recording. I will hand it over. People are always like, can you send me your introduction? Yes. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, Jessica, I can. can you write my introduction? <laughs> That's it. Literally. That was amazing. Thank you. That's my favorite part about podcasting. And I think you got to see that in yours is that yes. I get to invite people that I'm literally, and I say this candidly, that I'm in love with, that I'm like... I get to talk to you all the time. I would talk to you even more if I could. You're an incredible human being. The work you do is amazing. And now I'm like, I need, I need, I need y'all to hear this because I'm putting words to your feelings. This woman's about to put words to your whole life. Everything that's happening from corporate culture to external culture, to your life, to your convert. Just, just wait for it, y'all. Get ready. So thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. I can't (laughs) wait to see where this goes. (laughs) It's going to be great. Okay. So I have to start with a conversation that you and I have had about where your career begun, which you have been in corporate positions, very high, all over the place, doing incredible work for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But I know 2020 was when your career took a turn where you got to really step into some incredible work. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yes, I can. (laughs) I absolutely can. I knew diversity was a thing I wanted to do. And and I'm saying diversity because that's what it used to be called. We now use diversity, equity, and inclusion. And some of us lean into different parts of that. Some of us lean harder into equity or inclusion. But there was a time where it was just diversity, right? Where people were like, wait, we're missing some people, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so I took an interest in it. Very early in my career, I used to work for Blue Cross Blue Shield in Michigan, Blue Care Network, the HMO arm. And I was voluntold to participate on like a diversity council, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was when my interest first peaked. And I lived, I'm originally from the city of Detroit, which is a predominantly black city. Um, and so I was just like, yo, this is the thing. This is, we should talk about this, yes. you know? And so I took an interest there and my career grew and evolved. And I ended up ultimately after several years um, leading diversity strategy at Walmart. So I reported to um, chief diversity officer in that space and um, had responsibility for developing the strategy to to deliver to the organization. How does this come to life in, in the company's culture? Mm. Walmart is the biggest company in the history of the world. 
So as you can imagine, it takes quite a bit of strategizing, correct? you know, to shift an organization of, of that size. And so I learned a lot. I learned a lot about me. I learned a lot about being resilient. I learned a lot about how to build programs that people will actually use. And then they decided they were going to go in a different direction in terms of org structure. And I was like, I'm out. Right. So I left, um, I was invited to leave. It was not a firing. It was a, Hey, so do you want this or do you want that? And I was like, I'll take that. Yes. <laughs> and so I took the, that and left and probably fumbled for a couple of years trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then I started to get phone calls from people who knew my work mm-hmm. and they were like, Oh, you don't have a job. Can you come consult for me and do this thing? And I was like, uh, Sure. But I was still looking for a job because that's what mm. I knew was corporate space. And so right. I was going to go and get another corporate job. I interviewed with all the people people want to work for. And I had just gotten really good at listening for what I wanted. And I wasn't hearing it. So I hadn't accepted a role. I never got declined for a role, but I hadn't accepted one because I hadn't heard what I wanted. And then I started my company. So I started doing diversity, equity, and inclusion training at that point. Um, inclusive leadership, which is actually a training we still do today. Um We now have some other core trainings, but that was the one we started with. And I did that from 2018 to 2020 and things were good. Like I was building a business, right? I was really like, okay, this is, people are excited about what I do. So that was it. And then George Floyd was murdered. Everybody was in the house because of COVID and my phone, I mean, it was on fire, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't even know how to even begin to respond to rise to the occasion. But I was actually already working with a client I still work with today. I work with Gap, um, Gap Inc. And so they called me and said, we need to do something about allyship. And I was like, okay, great. Let's build it. We got on a call. They said some things. I said some things. I came back to them a couple days later. Like, this is the, this is it. This is the formula. This is the tactic. This is how it works. And I did that session and it feels like everybody in Gap called somebody they knew at another company. And all of a sudden my business was like, like people were calling left and right. I was doing virtual trainings for 11,000 people at a time. Like it was insane. I just got the chills. Wild. (laughs) I was just like, what is happening? Um, I did have the foresight because I know people who know video. Mm-hmm. to call a couple of my video friends when COVID first kicked off and was like, so listen, people are going to be at home. They're going to be calling to figure out how to get training done virtually. Help me get my setup together. So I was fortunate enough to have people who knew that. And so I, I did have a good setup, which was great because people want things that look good. Right. But I also, I just thrived. I'm, I'm really good with being able to kind of like facilitate, you know, in a virtual way where it still feels really engaging and brings people in. And so that changed my life. Like it changed what money meant for me. It changed what opportunity looked like. It shifted me from, you know, I always tell people working at Walmart, you're running a mini business all the time. Cause there's all these little companies <laughs> in the company, but like all of a sudden I was like, Oh shoot, this is a company. <laughs> like yes. it's a business. And like, we are bringing in income and I had to figure out things like, you know, accounting and like, it was just a lot. And so, uh, that was the thing that, that really changed what I realized I had responsibility for. Like, I think initially I thought I was just teaching a thing that I knew. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was like, oh, I'm good at this. And I have a responsibility to do it and do it well. And so, yeah, that's, that, that was the tipping point for Cabral Co and, and what I do today. And the work she does is incredible. And so I want to do two things. I want to backtrack for the audience. And I hate to do this, but I think it's so necessary because I think the definition is ever evolving and always changing. And then people make it their own versions. And Mm -hmm. we love to just make up words and do things and say random things. So what does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean to you? Mm -hmm. And how do you, what, what do you say to these corporate companies that these, that their leaders who lead and their people who lead need to understand? Yeah. So a couple things I, I teach DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. I try to use the words because I think that acronyms are confusing and there are a lot of DEI acronyms and I think it creates a lot of confusion. So I try to say the words, but I teach those things in a way that's different than most people teach. So I try to make it very accessible and practical and things you can digest. So I'm going to give you some definitions, but my expectation is not that you understand the definitions and can rattle them off. It's more that you understand the concept because- Lots of us know definitions for lots of things that we don't do well. I'd like you to do it well. OK, 
Okay. That's what I'd like. So diversity, diversity is, you know, a group of people with their unique belief styles, perspectives, experiences, identities, ideas. It's people and all their stuff. All right. It's me and all the things I come with. Right. Like whatever that is, whatever I think, whatever I believe, whatever I'm interested in, it, it's going to be here no matter what. If we roll into our local supermarket, mm -hmm. if we go to, you know, our local schools, you know, dropping our children off, you know, whatever that is, you're going to encounter diversity. Unique beliefs, styles, perspectives, experiences, identities, ideas, opinions. It's everywhere. You can't do anything about that. That's what diversity is. It just exists, which is part of why the industry evolved away from, oh, we need to have more diversity. No, no, no. We have that. Yeah. <laughs> we have that. Right. I'm already listening to you and I'm like, that's not the way people we use that. the word diversity. Yeah, it's not. But that's what it really is. Okay. I'm going to skip equity and go to inclusion. Inclusion is when we value, support, include, um, connect with, champion those people with that unique belief styles, perspective, experiences, ideas, ideas, opinions, all of those things. It is the labor. It is the part where I am intentionally saying, okay, you exist with all of your uniqueness, but I also need to make sure that I'm listening to you and that I'm thinking about what your ideas are and I'm creating a space where you're willing to lean in and I'm thoughtful about what you may want to contribute as I am also contributing. That is when we get to the inclusion part. So like the diversity is just there. Right. The inclusion is the work. So I always give people a pizza example, right? When you're going to make a pizza from scratch. Okay. I'm not talking about Domino's or Papa John's and all that. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna make a pizza from scratch. What do you do? You go get the stuff, you get the flour, you get the, you know, toppings you're gonna use. You gotta do the things. You've gotta chop the vegetables. You've gotta spread the cheese. You've gotta heat the oven up. The inclusion is the work part. It's the work. It's the chopping of the vegetables. It's the putting together. It's the, hey, are you gluten-free? Oh, who's vegan? Oh, wait a minute. You don't eat dairy. Let me do yours with no cheese. It is, it is having the willingness to say, everybody's got their unique thing. And I've got all these unique ingredients. How am I going to put them together to make it work? So diversity is the difference. Inclusion is the work. Yes. Diversity okay. is the mix. Inclusion is making the mix work. Got it. That's what it is. Now, equity is a little bit interesting because, you know, it's one of those things that, first of all, if you work in any corporate environment where you hear equity, the first thing you think about is like what your percentage is yep. going to be, yep. <laughs> you yep. know, if yep. the business does well, like what's your equity in the yes. company? But equity also refers to the experience you're having in terms of equitable experience in terms of access. So like, what do I get the opportunity to have access to because of my uniqueness? And so lots of us think about equality. And so I want to clarify that first and then I'll dive into equity. Equality is basically like, imagine, I don't know, we go to the same lunch place mm -hmm. and we're ordering sandwiches and we order the same sandwich. It's the same time of day. You know, we both order the same thing. We're going to pay the same price. We're going to get the same thing. That's equality. It doesn't matter that you are a white woman and I'm a black woman. It doesn't matter, you know, that you're paying by credit card and I'm paying with cash. None of that matters. We, we are going to get the same the thing. Same price. That's equality. All right. Equity is, yeah, I want that sandwich, but I need it to be gluten-free. And also, I kind of like my bread toasted, so I want my gluten-free bread toasted, and you may want vegan cheese, right? That's when we start to get into the equity of it. You start to get what you need. Mm. So, like, I want to have lunch with you, Jessica, but... I need to have it at a place where I can get a gluten-free sandwich and you can get something that has vegan cheese and we can still enjoy lunch together. That's what equity is about. It's about creating an opportunity for us to have access to what we need, not just, oh, you can get this and you can get this and you can. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is, it's like giving everyone the same size shoe, mm -hmm. right? Like that's equality. Everybody don't need the same size shoe. I need a shoe that works for me. Right. right. And so that's what equity is essentially saying. And so when we put those three together, the reason why we have DEI is diversity. It's our uniqueness. Right. The existence of that equity is the experience we are trying to have where you're going to give me what I need, where I can survive, where I can operate, where I can be effective, whether that's at work or in you know my day to day. And then inclusion means that you are willing to do the labor to make sure that my identity belongs here, that I have an opportunity to experience what it feels like to be connected. You don't have to remember any of those words, <laughs> really. But just think about the concepts. You know what I mean? Like diversity, it's just our uniqueness. It's the mix of who we are. Equity, I want to get what I need to be effective. Inclusion, I want to make sure that my uniqueness has an opportunity to be considered here. Someone's doing the work, the work to make sure that what it is that I am bringing to the table is also being thought of and included in the space. That's it. 
y'all should have paid for this. I should have paid for this. This is so, <laughs> we are five minutes in and I'm like, oh my God. It's this? so easy to me. But like, I also think that like diversity, equity, and inclusion right now is a career. Mm. And so people are like, oh, it's so hard. And I'm like, it's not, it's really, really simple. And the reason I always tell people, I think I teach it differently than most people is that like, I have no vested interest in you being able to rattle off a definition. But I do want you to be able to be thoughtful about what it means for you to be equitable in the way that you operate. I do want you to know how to be thoughtful about how you can be more inclusive in the way that you do the things you do in your life, whether that's throw parties or, you know, engage with your children or whatever. I do want you to have enough of an understanding to be able to bring those things to life because ultimately that's what we're really looking for. I don't give a shit what your definitions sound like. Like people use different definitions than the ones that I use, but I want you to get the concept and be able to like action on it. I want to add to that is one of the most beautiful things I think not about Cause there's a lot, this is a career now. So there's yes. a lot of people that do this. Yes. I have seen this popped up yes. 2020, 2021. Everybody all <laughs> everybody of a was sudden doing was a DEI, DEI expert. And by the way, everyone is now afraid to do it because the Supreme court has had an opinion about affirmative action come out. Right. And so now everyone who was like popping up doing it has pivoted to like, Oh yeah, I do leadership <laughs> consulting or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, so it don't matter no more. The That's DEI exactly. thing not popping because as you know, you, you notice the budget has moved. And so yeah, the intention, it's still incredibly important. I still do the work that I do because I think it's important for us to be able to be considerate of the experiences of the people around us because at the end of the day, yes, we are all human, but all of us are not experiencing access to humanity the same way. And this is the thing that's in the way of that. And so that's why I still continue to do the work. You, you took the words right out of my mouth about what is happening now. So mm -hmm. thank you. That put mm -hmm. words to that. Yeah. But what I think is so beautiful about what you do and I haven't seen it done this way with anyone else. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist out there, but this is what I've witnessed that you do day in and day out in the work that you do and the friendships that you have and the, every conversation I have had with you or I have seen you have externally with the people you work with, your network and your friends is that you, this is a gift to everyone. Oh, absolutely. It is so nice. You are not, you are building a bridge mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because one thing I see you do often is like, you're like, I am, I am here to build your arsenal of words and ways to communicate with people to offer a thing that will make the world around us better for everyone. Yes. Especially, and I'm going to say this as a white woman, the white people that are out there leading are, they, I'm sure they all have their own reasoning in all the different ways, <laughs> but they are at times so scared mm -hmm. to do this mm -hmm. because they don't know how yeah. they don't know the ways to say it. Yep. They don't know how to not be offensive. They are naturally offensive. Mm -hmm. So there are just so many things at play here. And what I've loved about what I see you do is you often come in and you're like, Hey, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Um, you can't say that like that, but guess what? I'm not judging anyone. Mm -hmm. You don't have the craft mm -hmm. or the dictionary or the vocabulary or any of this understanding from the world that you were the privilege that you have been given yes. your entire life to be able to do this. So here's my gift to you. Here's what I'm doing for you is changing all of that for you so that you can create a better culture, workplace, et cetera. Yeah. And I don't think like, that's the part that makes me want to knock down people's doors is I'm like, Hey, there's someone here mm -hmm. that doesn't give a shit about the place in which you lead in right now. And they can make you a better leader, make you a better people leader make you make your leaders better. Like all of the things by making this, your, the culture in your workplace better, you just have to be open and understand that this is one thing that you're gonna have to sit your ass down and learn from. Two things about what you said are super like, I wanna just zoom in a little bit. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is the most frustrating for me about what I do is that people think it is just a work thing. And I'm like, mm, it's, it's not. not, it's not, this is a, how you live your life thing. And so I want you to understand that. Like if, if I am walking around saying inclusion is important to me, equity is important to me. I am operating in that lens, whether I am in the workplace or not. And so what does that mean? What does it look like? And so the this approach, is the first thing you taught me, by the way, literally, because like you I were think, like, don't say that word that way. And here's why. Yes. And I was like, it's just me and you in this room. And you were like, I know, don't use that word yes. that way. Yes. Because I think it's important that you understand the impact of your existence in life, like in life. Like I, I don't want just to be 
included at a job. I don't have a job. I don't, I don't have a job. <laughs> okay. I, that, I run a company. Okay. I run a company. Yes. So I go to people's jobs. So like y'all having inclusion and equity in your workplaces does very little for me. It actually, does nothing outside right? of the hours that we work. Facts. I, I need you to have this mindset in a broad sense. And so I want, I want people to understand, and this, this goes back to the second point that, that you just kind of brought up, which is like, the privilege piece of it, we don't talk a lot about privilege. And, you know, you and I went back and forth about guilty privilege. I was like, oh, I don't know if people are ready for that. I don't know if it could be a thing, right? We're but, so ready for it. <laughs> but it's happening and people love it. And I do think the thing about it is that privilege is, it's a thing that we feel real squirrely about. We get mm. real dicey about privilege. We feel like, you know, oh, I'm not privileged because I worked hard to get, it don't matter. If you worked hard and you got it, you still got, guess what? I'm privileged. I am privileged in multiple ways. I am privileged in ways that have absolutely Absolutely nothing to do with the amount of work that I've done. Am I also still oppressed? Yes, I'm a black woman. You know what I mean? Like Correct. I live in a, you know, a, a a country that prioritizes whiteness, right? And white supremacy. So absolutely I'm still oppressed. But I also have privilege. I have the privilege of speaking, you know, English in this country because that is, you know, the language that we speak predominantly here. I have the privilege of being light skinned because we all know that colorism thing is a real thing. Mm -hmm. I have the privilege of being stereotypically pretty. Which, pretty privileged. <laughs> All right. Creates yep. its own thing. And so, like, I think the more we're able to just kind of admit that, like, privilege plays a part in what we have access to. And if we could just be honest about it. Yeah. Right. I had a moment and, and I'm, I'm going to bring this full circle, but I had a moment. Um, I used to live in Bentonville, Arkansas, because that's where Walmart is headquartered. And I had um, actually a, a person who reported to me, a young lady, and she was very dark skinned woman, um, short hair. And um, this was, I also had short hair and, you know, we both kind of like leaned into a lot of similar styles at the time. And so she asked me one day, I love your workplace makeup look. Let's go shopping. Like I would love to go squirreling around just to figure out what you're using. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. I am this complexion. She is a very dark skinned woman. I didn't even think about it. We went on Sunday after brunch. We went and had our little boozy brunch hangout time. <laughs> we go and I take her where I go to get the things that I get. And literally the first store we walk into, I realized there is nothing in her complexion. And I was like, Whoa. that feeling right there is what keeps people from doing the work. That feeling right there is what makes people decide, okay, I don't know that I want to continue to have dark skin friends because I don't know how to navigate that. I don't know that I want to continue to connect with black women because I don't know how to navigate that. I don't know what to say right now. And so I'm not going to put myself in this position anymore. And so then what you do is you decide that you're going to continue to connect with people that look like you, that sound like you, that feel like you, that are going to be able to go into the stores that you go into to buy the makeup that you buy. But what I did is I turned to her and I was like, I am so sorry I did not think about any of the other complexions of makeup when I invited you to come shop with me. And I am completely embarrassed and I do not know what to do about it. And her exact words to me, I will never forget this word. I appreciate that you noticed. So like those moments are what lead to Fenty Beauty, which by the way, wasn't around at that time. Mm -hmm. Those moments, leaning into that, that's the thing that gets us to recognizing that like, yo, there are people that don't have the same thing I have, mm -mm. that don't have access to the same thing I have. I am currently living in a building that is having a water crisis. I'm not gonna get into the details, <laughs> but like I, on the way out of the building the other day, saw a woman who I've seen very frequently. She is a wheelchair user. And I was like, you stay in this building, don't you? And she said, yes. And I said, I can imagine this is incredibly difficult for you. She said, yes. It's incredibly difficult because no one's thinking about accessibility because you want to hand me two gallons of water to take upstairs because that's what they're doing in my building to make sure we at least have water. And I can't carry two gallons of water the same way someone else can. Right. And so like when I, when I think about all of this, it's like, we have to get clear about the simple ways our privilege shows up, the simple ways I'm able to walk. I, people think I'm pretty. I speak the language of my community. I have access to whatever. Right. And how we are able to take that power and use it in our day-to-day -to, -day to create access, opportunity, resource, impact, et cetera, in the ways that we're living. That's what I care about. That's what I care about. I care about it for black women, but I also care about it for other folks, like folks who are using wheelchairs and folks who don't speak the same language. Because here's the thing, the more we all can get what we have of value out, the richer we all become, right? 
So I'm going to try to create that opportunity. And so like, that's, that's what pushes me and motivates me to do this work. And also the reason I do it differently. The reason why I'm not always like, no, this is the definition for inclusion. You know, like, remember it this way. Like, no, that's, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if you know the definition. I care if you know how to embed it in your life. And so that's, that's the direction and the way that I teach and what I also try to do with the Guilty Privilege podcast. I said a lot of words there. Sorry. <laughs> so This is, this is, oh my God. I'm like, this is what everyone, it's like going on a date and you're like attracted to the the surface thing. And then you sit down and the person's like, I make my own money and I have created the life I desire. And like, do you want to be a part of it? And I'm just listening to this and I'm like, this is not what everyone knows that they, it's not what everyone wants, but it is what everyone needs. And I'm like, oh my God. And that, that's one of the things that you first taught me was like, this is not about the workplace. This is about how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And it changed the way I spoke, the way I use words. It will forever change the word, the way I saw the word privilege yeah. and the word allyship and the word advocate. Like it changed everything for me. And so when I, when I hear all of this, the first thing I'm immediately thinking is, and I'm sure you know other ways, but all of the ways that people get uncomfortable in mm-hmm. that tough moment and then they pull back. Mm-hmm. I'm, I literally last week I did last week I was on a call with a, another team and I pronounced the girl's name wrong. Mm-hmm. I wanted to melt in my chair. Yep. And then I thought in that moment, I said, okay, all you can do is take responsibility mm-hmm. and accountability, mm-hmm. apologize, asked, asked for the correct pronunciation of her name and make sure moving forward that you respect her and her name. Right moving forward. Right. And I thought about you in that instant because what I appreciate about the work you do is you are not here to chastise people Mm-mm. for their behavior. No. You are here to give them clarity of vocabulary, mm-hmm. tools, and the tools. And the tools to walk differently in life. Yep. One of the first tools I actually teach is apologies. I teach apologies all the time because people like we first two things about apologies. One, we are bad at them. Terrible. <laughs> we have all seen, you know, the big companies. Fucking terrible. <laughs> they come out with like, we are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> and we really regret that someone would ever think that we would represent something of the, and we're like, what are, where is the apology? Right. Like, right. Like, yes. And that's, you're saying that you would never do yeah, that. And I'm like, you okay, great. But it happened. So right. like, are you going to apologize for it or what? And what are you going to do about it? And so I, uh, this is hands down. One of the things I teach all of my clients and we go through it repeatedly. An apology has two parts. Okay. Two parts. None of them are the conditional things we like to add to apologies. Oh, I'm so sorry. You feel that way. Oh, I didn't mean it. Who cares? Who cares? Your apology is two parts. I apologize for moving forward. I will. I apologize for mispronouncing your name. Moving forward, I'll make sure to say it correctly. Can you pronounce it for me, please? Mm. I apologize for my remarks about Latina talent. Moving forward, I'll mind my bias when speaking publicly. Mm. I apologize for moving forward. I will. That is an apology. Now, after that, you can say, I didn't mean it. I wasn't being considerate. I'm so sorry. I have another friend who says their name differently. It's spelled the same. I apologize for moving forward. I will let me know that you know what you did to break it. And this is what you're going to do to correct it going forward. Now I can hear the conditionals. I don't give a damn about the conditionals otherwise. Because those are your excuses. Absolutely. And here's the thing. I may have a vested interest in your excuses if I know you don't mean it and what you're going to do to fix it. But otherwise, I don't care. So like I, I, I make a point to highlight that. And that's a simple tool. It's a simple tool. I can't tell you how many people message me to say, listen, I tried that on my husband. I was just about to say, <laughs> okay. I was like, y'all hear this? This is actually relationship <laughs> advice. I was like, look, if, if, if a man apologized to me like this and then was like, but hey, here's all the reasons why. I apologize for moving forward. I will. This is why I thought it was okay. You'll be like, oh. You thought about this. Ever, this is why you live the life you live. Listen, okay? And I'm going to tell you, my boyfriend tells me all the time when I don't apologize well, because by the way, I do slip up. Okay? When I don't apologize well, and I go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. He'll say, you're sorry for what? Ooh. And I'll go, oh, you're right. I apologize for moving, moving forward. forward. This I is will. what I will do. Right? And that is an inclusion equity thing. But it's something you're going to use throughout your whole life. You can apologize to your children, your parents. You know what I mean? Like 
Every relationship in your life has an opportunity for you to do better and potentially a space where you need to apologize. We think of inclusion, equity, diversity. We think of it as a work thing. And I'm like, no, it's a life thing. You're going to apologize in your life. So like, do you have the tools? And so I, I try to teach this in a way where you understand that like, the moment you're road raging down the, the street, <laughs> you're in your bias. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want to paint that picture for you. You know, the moment that you're making assumptions about who's the greatest basketball player, you're having a moment where you are having some bias in that space too, right? Like, and I want you to see that. And it's not necessarily saying that you're a bad person and that bias has to make you a bad, horrible being. It's you understanding how it works and how it shows up so that you recognize that the concerns that you have about the way your children are being treated in school, the concerns that you're having about the way we make decisions around political candidates, the decisions that are being made for us, you know, from the Supreme Court, the conversations that we are hearing in our workplaces around how we are being, uh, how we are distributing work and making selections around hires, all of that, all of that is an equity thing. Your inability to walk into certain clothing stores and find certain sizes, despite the average woman being a size 16, is an equity matter. That is not a thing happening at your job. And so like, well, some people's jobs, because some people work in retail, but you know what I mean? Like, I want people to understand this is not a thing that you are doing for the moment. Mm -mm. This is a thing you are doing for your life. And if we can at least just put that lens on and be willing to understand the impact that it has on our day to day as a whole, we can have a grander experience collectively and the impact that we're talking about that we want can actually happen because it is little things like knowing how to apologize. It is little things like knowing how to and being willing to speak up. It is being able to push past your discomfort and say, okay, this is a moment where I've got to take this feedback. Like it's that. And these are simple, simple things, but we don't connect them to getting us to equity and inclusion. And that's where the problem lies. I'm just in a masterclass like y'all are in this moment. <laughs> this is so good. Okay. So very clear for the most part on DEI. And mm -hmm. I think there's even a broader conversation to be had that we could be this entire podcast of on a broader scale. I gave small details, mm -hmm. life details, mm -hmm. but on a broader scale, when there are major leaders that make massive mistakes mm -hmm. and they get in that uncomfortable position. It even sounds like a PR conversation oh, yeah. of like, how, what do they do? Mm -hmm. Because you see so many people make their biggest mistakes and not apologizing yep. and not taking responsibility yep. or blaming or playing victim mm -hmm. to what was said, done, or the mistake that was made. Mm -hmm. And so I think for those listening that are scared of the hard conversations or see the result of massive mistakes, Outside of apologies, what would you, what do you typically say people need to do or should consider when they are just in these really uncomfortable spaces? And I, I think I'm thinking, I'm just thinking of examples of like, there is always bias. Always. There is, <laughs> there is always all of this. This yeah. is happening all the, all, time. all the time. Everywhere. Everywhere <laughs> yeah. you look, time. this is happening. Yeah. You're doing it to people. You're biasing all the time. You're looking at somebody and you're being like, oh, she's tall. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, he looks like he's got a lot of money. You know, like you're doing it all the time. The, oh, she's like, she might be good with kids. Like, you know, it's all that. We marry people based on our biases. Like, oh, her mom was nice and she was nice. I think she might be a good cook. Like, maybe I should, you know, we, it's, it's happening. It's happening. You're living your life by it. The least you could do is know how to navigate, like how to have the conversations around the tough stuff. So like, if I were to give a tool mm -hmm. to, outside of apologies, apologies is really important. But if there were two things I could give people across the world, Three, one would be apologies. The other two would be knowing how to give feedback. That's one. Mm. And also receive feedback. That's two. Feedback loops are so critical. So critical. Because here's the thing. If you don't have the ability to receive feedback, you don't even hear the apology. Oof. When I give you the apology, you don't hear it. Because you can't even take the feedback. You mad. You're in right. it, right? And so like, I, I, I want people to also build the resilience of having the ability to give and receive feedback. I make a very pointed effort to build relationships in my life with people who are willing to give me feedback, who are willing to also take the chance and hear my feedback, even when it's a little bumpy and it's rough and I might not get it right all the time. Giving and receiving feedback are critical pieces. And here's why. You don't know that you're doing it wrong until someone tells you. You don't know. How many YouTube videos do you start that open with, hey guys, 
And guys, it's not gender inclusive, but we would consider ourselves people who want to make sure that we are not leaning into the gender binary. Guys is not gender inclusive. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, I think guys has evolved. It's for everybody. And I'll say, if I told you I went on a date with four guys last week, what comes to mind for you? <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not gender inclusive, but we do it. We hey guys all the time. And so like, if no one says to you, hey, guys is not inclusive. We work at a predominantly, you know, female run led operated organization. Could we perhaps use some other terms? If you are not able to say that, someone is not going to know they need to correct it. That's a really simple example, but that's the, that's the way it goes. I don't know I'm doing a thing that is potentially offensive, disruptive. I don't know I'm mispronouncing your name if you don't tell me. You've got to be willing to say the thing. That means you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable at least long enough to get it out your mouth. And I have to do the work of being willing to create the space for you to give me the feedback, which means sometimes I've got to ask, hey, does that make sense? Hey, is, is that clear? Do you have any feedback for me? Am I creating a space where you feel like you can share with me your concerns? Do you have any concerns for me? And guess what? Every single time I might ask you, you may tell me no. But because I ask you all the time when you have a concern, then you will say, so Amber, I have a concern I want to share with you. And I'll go, okay, I'm ready to hear that. Mm. If we can just get that skill, if we could just get the skill of giving and receiving feedback, if we could just get that, just think about how much better we could be. There's so much ego involved in that. Literally, literally, because I've decided I'm great. (laughs) I am the best. I'm the expert at this thing. Who are you to correct me? Wow. Yeah, it's a thing. You have taught me such a lesson in feedback. Every bit of feedback that you have ever given me has changed the way I changed me for the better in the world or in my business. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if I had an issue with receiving your feedback, what an opportunity I would have missed. I also think that I try to make sure that you can give me feedback back. Yes. Where I'm like, okay, so what are your thoughts about this? I think you know the most in this space. Can you share with me what you would do? What's the best approach? Hell, we wouldn't have had a name for the podcast. Correct. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I was like, I don't know what to call it. Like, I'm not (laughs) even sure. And you were like, it's guilty privilege. That's the name (laughs) of it, right? Like, so I, I mean, we have to get to a place where we understand most of us want power. I do. Power matters a lot to me. Um, power matters a lot to me because I am a black woman and I think that there are not enough black women in power making huge waves and impacts even though we have the skill set to do so. So I care a lot about power. Just imagine the amount of power you could have if you just actually heard the feedback, if you invited it, if you got it, if you considered it. Now, some of it's going to be trash. <laughs> Throw it away. <laughs> okay? But if you at least get it, if you at least get it in, then you can decide and you can parse and you can look for themes and you can go, okay, I see a trend here, right? And you can respond appropriately. And if you are willing and brave enough and bold enough to give the feedback, like how many of these, you know, faux pas that we've seen, you know, blackface this, or, you know, why would you word this offensively that it are because people were not willing to give the feedback, I wasn't willing to just speak up and say, so like, we got to get that skill. Like, that's the main thing. Like when I, when I work with my clients, feedback and apologies, top of the list, because those two things alone can get you really, really far down the line because, and they're also super simple. They're not easy, but they're super simple. They're super simple. And so you just have to get that embedded and start practicing it and like practice it in your day-to-day life. Like folks need feedback. You do too. (laughs) (laughs) And guess what? If you mess it up and you break it, apologize. But we're supposed to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, how's that working for you? It's not. Right. (laughs) It's not working at all. It's not. (laughs) There's no such thing as perfect. My perfect and your perfect are different. If I had to describe my heaven and you describe yours, they're going to be different. Correct. So where's perfect? It's impossible. That's not a thing. Just like I always tell people, inclusion isn't everyone all the time. Yes. People think inclusion means like we all have everything. That means everybody's got to make space for everybody's little unique, weird, unusual, distinct thing. Everyone should have luxury. No, (laughs) it's not going to happen. Right. Inclusion means that sometimes some folks are going to be centered in certain spaces, but that doesn't mean you don't belong there. That means that maybe your role there is a little different. So if we are centering queer people in the conversation, for example, and you happen to not be a queer person, this is your opportunity to show up as an ally. 
That's your role. It doesn't mean that you are not included. So we have to really get clear about like what these things mean. Doesn't mean that you are always going to be centered, considered imperfectly comfortable. Actually, you're going to be uncomfortable a lot. I am uncomfortable a lot. I am the person that people turn to and say, Amber, can you please go tell the people that they broke it? Because I don't really know how to say it. And I think they're going to get mad at me because they know I'm going to say it. I was thinking about you when <laughs> Lovey did the TED talk about being the troublemaker. And yes. in the beginning, she shows the picture of the cat mm -hmm. and the cat's like got the side eye. And she's like, that is my job. My job is that when everyone makes the side eye, they're like, Lovey, can you go tell them? Can you please that go they let should them not know. have said that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is Amber. That's me. It's me. But guess what? You could take the burden off me if everybody would just just do it. Just give the feedback. I'm doing it. I'm role modeling how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> This is what you say. <laughs> but like, I teach it because I want a world where, you know, we get past the idea that we have to be uncomfortable with, you know, people giving us something that ultimately can, can help be us. helpful. Yeah, exactly. I got to jump in on the, you just brought up allyship mm -hmm. and, or an ad, you, and you have this incredible book, Allies and Advocates, mm -hmm. and you changed the way I saw all of these words, mm -hmm. but allyship and adv advocacy, I can never say this word, explain what you mean by that. Yeah. And I, I will have some questions to follow, but sure, please. Sure. So people call me a lot about allyship and advocacy. Um, they're also buzzwords, which is its own mm -hmm. weird thing. Mm -hmm. But to be really simple, the best way to do both of them is to start with you. Yes. Um, what allyship and advocacy both require is that you recognize what your privileges are. What do I have? What am I not even thinking twice about, right? What are the things that are occurring in my life that are very, very natural for me that I'm not thinking about? So, you know, just kind of go back to a couple of examples I gave. I can work, walk to my local grocery store and talk to anybody in there. And I mean, they're going to know what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. I speak the language of my community. Correct. That is a privilege, okay? And so if we can get clear about what our privileges are, I have hot, clean running water, um, you know, I can very easily stroll into my local CVS and pick up something, a bandage in my skin tone, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, if you can get clear about what your privileges are, then the next step is to step back and say, okay, who around me may not be having that experience? What experience might they be having? My, what experience might the person who is not able to speak the language of the community having? What experience might the person who is not able to have access to hot, clean running water having? What experience is the person having that is going into stores and not able to find bandages in their skin tone or makeup in their skin tone or hosiery in their skin tone, right? Very easily, right? What experience might they be having? And if we don't know, then we need to start to connect and build some empathy for that. If we can start to connect and build some empathy for that, that's where we get the difference between allyship and advocacy. When we start to get to allyship, what that means is I'd look for ways to extend my privilege to you. Oh, wait, you're having that experience? Okay, well, I don't even have that at all. I have an abundance of this, actually. How can I extend my privilege to you so that I can perhaps create an experience for you that feels more equitable? All right. Advocacy is asking us to look at the systems that are in the way. So instead of me thinking about the ways I can extend my privilege to you, what I'm looking at is like, well, what are the systems that are in the way of you having what I have? Because I easily can, blah, blah, blah. I can easily just go hop on the MARTA. I don't have to think about anything. Right. But this person who's a wheelchair user, how are they even getting into the station? I don't even see an elevator. What are we doing about that? All right. And so I think having the thoughtfulness around those pieces. So advocacy is more about the system. What am I doing that I am having an experience that it's not disruptive for me at all, but someone else isn't in that same privilege. And there's a system in the way, there's a process in the way, there's a resource in the way, there's something that maybe I have the power to change, or at least I can call to someone's attention. And then allyship is more about the person. What can I perhaps do to make sure that you have access to the same thing I do? Oh, we don't speak the same language, but you should be able to grocery shop just like I can. How can I make sure that we're creating access so that you can do that? How do I make sure that you get the ability to experience equity in your life in the same way that I do, even though I'm getting a little bit of ease because I've got these privileges? Okay. I have a very serious question yes. for the potential ally. And I'm yes. sure you answer this question in the book, <laughs> but from the very small situations to the very large ones, how you talked about like having an event at a company for, you know, queer an event centered around that mm -hmm. and someone not being queer. And that is an opportunity for them to be an ally. That's right. So for the potential ally, 
What I see too far often, and I know we are all guilty of doing, is when we go to be an ally for a group or a situation that we are not a part of, Mm -hmm. we far too often, how do I explain this, but try to find a way to be a, have a connection or dim our privilege or something to feel welcome. And I feel like I'm not explaining this the right way, but this is to me an example or the equivalent of this is you do not need to be an ally for black and brown people and start the conversation or connection by saying like, my best friend is black. Oh my gosh. Or, you or, do not have to be the thing to support the thing. I you do not so have to be the t- thing to listen. support the thing. Thank you. Do you know how many diversity practitioners, because that's what I consider myself, a diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner. I'm a practitioner of the work, okay? You do not have to be a person who is a practitioner of the work who also happens to be queer and then also happens to be non-binary and also happens to be... You do not have to adopt all of these things. Part of being an ally is being able to position yourself in the discomfort of building empathy. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a trans woman. I have no idea. But I have relationships with folks who are trans women. I have intentionally done work in trans communities. I have intentionally tried to connect in ways that help me to build the empathy necessary for me to say, oh, I see where my privilege is in comparison to yours. An appropriate way for me to extend my support might be this. Does that sound right? That empathy makes you ask. You build the empathy. You get involved. You make the connection. You get real good at being willing to be uncomfortable. You get real good at somebody saying, yeah, that you don't really get it. Because listen, you are cisgender and there's a lot of rights that you have that I don't actually have. And you don't actually get it at all. And guess what? People are going to be frustrated because they're not going to know how to explain it because they're living it and it is painful and challenging and difficult. And I'm just using trans as an example. It could be anything. We have to be okay not knowing everything, being told that our privilege and someone else's privileges are different and that that creates a rub and that we don't know the answers. And we have to build the connection and the empathy to figure out what they are. Allyship is labor. Folks are running around talking about, I'm an ally for the blah, 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 blah community. It's labor. Are you working? Because if you're not working, if you aren't exhausted or tired or confused or frustrated, or perhaps sitting back and questioning as you're watching some of the things that happen around whatever it is that you are supporting, if you are not in that place, then you're not doing it well. You're not doing it right. Allyship is work. It's work. Advocacy is work. It is work. I got to be uncomfortable. I am pushing against a system I do not think is working for everyone. Have you tried to fight a system? Think about that. We had a system where we had access to abortions for years and now it's gone. And there are people fighting that system. Like, are you, do, are, do you know what that feels like? Like that's labor. And so like, we have to also really get clear that like, this is uncomfortable work. It's uncomfortable work. It's uncomfortable all the time. If you're not uncomfortable every week, you might not be doing the work. You might not be an ally or an advocate. You might not, you know, <laughs> like you, you kind of got to own that. I always tell people, I know I'm not doing a good job if I haven't apologized at least once a week. <laughs> I'm gonna butcher somebody's name. I'm gonna misgender somebody. It's it's gonna happen. I apologize for it. moving forward. I will. I, if I haven't said that at least that week, something's not right, or I'm sick, one or the other, because <laughs> it, it the work it, it's labor. In 2020, I um, did a podcast episode that went viral, and it was called "A Letter to My Whitest Self." Mm. And it was because when all of this was happening, mm-hmm. there were people contacting me in my network, mostly other white people Mm -hmm. asking me, um, how do you feel about this? And what are you doing about your son? Who Mm -hmm. my son is biracial. Mm -hmm. And there were so many things I wanted to address. And there were also people like so many, all these other things matter. Shut the fuck. Shut up. Right. right. Um, (laughs) Right. Everything else matters. And it was like, all things matter. All things matter. And I was like, and and what's interesting is I didn't know what allyship meant during that time, Mm -hmm. but I was just like, I have a biracial son. I was engaged to a black man at the time. And the letter was about, and I still don't have the tools and don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so my job is to educate myself because I will never and can never say that I have experienced what these people are experiencing. And so your job is to go educate yourself and then ask for what you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel like, you know what to do, 
then you have more work to do. Yeah, and it's and it's a there's a couple layers in there too. That, and these are things that I think you do that you probably don't really identify well. It is educate yourself, but it's also put yourself in appropriate relationship. Like when you build strong relationships, you get people, you and I, right? Mm -hmm. We can have a, a conversation where I can say, mm, Jess, not the appropriate approach here. Correct. Um, reconsider this wording. Yep. Um, you know, things like that, right? And you can say the same thing for me, right? Correct. Like because we're in relationship, we can do that. A lot of people miss that. They, they get clear, oh, I got to educate myself. And they'll say that, oh, I'm still learning. I'm educating myself. Right. But I need you to also get to a point, and this is the second piece, where you're doing something. And I want you to understand that even when you start doing it, it's still going to be uncomfortable because the problem's still here. So while you're doing the thing that is being impactful, that is changing it, that is having, you know, an opportunity to influence and shape and all of those things, it's still going to be ugly. It's still going to be uncomfortable. People are still going to challenge you. You're still not going to like how it feels. But that is a part of the work because guess what? I'm experiencing this in, in, in an everyday kind of way. So like, I think those two pieces are part of it too. And you do those, you do those parts, but it's, I think it's a thing that to your point, sometimes might feel hard to put words to. Yes. Yeah. I think there are so many people that took the lazy route mm -hmm. because they didn't know what to do and they didn't know what to say without coming off as offensive yeah. they didn't know how and like i'm gonna say it like i i felt <laughs> i felt like people were like okay well let me know let me go out there now and just make new friends yep that for the 30 years 40 50 years of your life you had never went out and That's made right. friends that didn't look like you yep and then you were like oh shit checking the box i should go make some different looking friends that's it and i was like Oh my God. Yeah. This is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And then to hear you say the reverse that I think most people don't pick up on is, well, you we're not saying I'm sorry, but I'm sorry that you have to put yourself in a space that makes you uncomfortable by having this conversation. Mm -hmm. However, that level of uncomfortability, if that's a word, is how I feel all it's my the norm. time. It's my norm. It is my norm. The oppressed identities in this world, not just in this country, but in this world, it is their norm. It is the norm to be uncomfortable. It is the norm to be oppressed. It is the norm to have to push back. It is the norm to have to figure out how to challenge. It is the norm to be judged. It is the norm to be criticized. And you it is the are norm struggling. to worry about your skin. Yes. The, the, it the, is the, the norm for me to skin. worry about me existing in this container. Correct. And you are concerned about saying the wrong thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, you know how to apologize. Guess what? I may still be mad about it, but you have the tools. I need you to go forth and try. I need you to go forth and ask for feedback. I need you to go forth and learn how to give feedback. I need you to be willing to be corrected. I need you to be willing to be uncomfortable. You need to be willing to be wrong. All of it. All of it. I am wrong. I do this for work. I am wrong. I have been wrong. I have been corrected. I've been corrected harshly, right? And I have to be okay with that because here is the thing. Nobody knows what it's like to live in your container, but you, and we are trying to create a world where we're giving equity to all the containers. If I'm going to give equity to all the containers, I'm going to fuck that up <laughs> somewhere along the ride. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to frame it incorrectly. I'm going to not be thoughtful about my impact. I am going to do it. And so are you. And here's the thing. There's a lot of folks, a lot of white folks who are unwilling to even lean into that. And if you're not even willing to be a little bit uncomfortable, what well, baby, I mean, come on now. <laughs> You just want to rattle off some definitions. That's why I always tell people, I don't care if you know the definitions. Do you get the concept? I need you to get the concept. How are you bringing it to life in your life? How are you bringing apologies to life in your life? How are you bringing, giving feedback when it's tough and it's hard to life in your life? How are you bringing, receiving feedback to life in your life when it's hard? Because when I tell you a thing and you want to push back on me about it, are you actually receiving the feedback? Do you know how to do that? So it's, it's, it's again, all of the things I teach are really simple and really practical and really accessible. And I like try to make sure you understand you're doing this from the moment you step out of your house and sometimes while you're in your house. But also I want you to realize that if you are not understanding that that's the way it is, that it's in your day to day at every moment and every step, you are not making an impact doing it at your job. You're not, it's not happening. The reason why y'all are struggling with talent pipeline is because you think that only place that DEI belongs is in your job. So the people that's trying to get in the job can't get in because it's not happening outside the job. So like there's, there's, it's so, it's so much nuance and so many layers, but again, this is simple stuff. The biggest obstacle is I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be wrong. 
Mm. I don't want to be incorrect. I don't want to be corrected publicly. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to get dragged. I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be, what's the word? Canceled. And I'm like, folks don't get canceled unless they double down. When you do something stupid, you need to back up and be like, oh, I did something stupid and apologize. Most people want to be like, but also, you know, and another <laughs> thing. Like, and there's now, a reason I said right, that. And now you're getting dragged and you know what I'm saying? So like, it, it's it's the unwillingness to be okay with correction and discomfort and the unwillingness to create the kinds of relationships in your life that make sure that you get that. Like the people who are close to me, chin check me regularly. I am familiar with a bruised chin because I know it's the only way I'm gonna get better. And I want people in my life that have that. And I try to teach people the resilience of being able to take it as well as give it, as well as know how to apologize when you fuck it up, cause you're gonna do it. I have to wrap us here. And I can't do my job on this podcast unless I'm constantly willing to throw myself under the bus. I want to go back to what you just said about one of the biggest problems we have is that people don't want to be canceled. They don't want to feel Mm -hmm. shame. They don't want to feel embarrassed. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to feel stupid. They don't Mm -hmm. want to feel offensive. They don't want to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. They want to be perfect. All of the things. I am guilty of this. And so I'm going to use myself as an example. This has been the year where I have been chin checked a lot for why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And I get the unique opportunity of putting power behind marginalized voices, Mm -hmm. underrepresented voices, primarily black and brown women. Mm -hmm. I help those women amplify their voices through the power of podcasting, talk shows, video conversations. Yep. And I listen and I eat it up and then I find ways to blow it up in a way that I think that other audiences will be transformed by it. Yep. And I thought I was just doing work I loved. Mm -hmm. And And this was, I am, I love this shit. (laughs) Like to be clear, because these are the women that I learn. I I feel like I get paid to learn from the most incredible women I have ever met. Absolutely. But this was the first time that people really, because it's because I'm getting visibility. Mm -hmm. So now there are questions. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time where I was like, what? Like people are like, Hey, (laughs) why do you only work with black women? Mm -hmm. And Hey, we wanted to partner with you, but someone in the organization said, you're not black. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you helping? Mm -hmm. Like, so that's against our brand Mm -hmm. because we help Mm -hmm. them and you serve them, but that's not you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. And so now it has become, and so I'm asking this as a, as a question, And then for someone listening, how can I continue? And I love that you brought this up about, I'm just in an uncomfortable space right now that you have been in your entire life, Mm -hmm. that many people have been in their entire Mm -hmm. life. How do I continue to stand in my allyship? Because this is the place where people like me get uncomfortable, where we go, oh, wait a minute. Well, maybe I shouldn't be an ally. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Maybe. And I know I can't speak to those experiences. I know that I can't, but I know that I love these women. Mm -hmm. I know that I love their stories. I know that their voices should be heard. And I know that part matters to me. But when people ask those questions and I don't have an answer, I'm like, oh, fuck. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not the person to do this. I think you do it anyway. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. All right. So a couple things. I think one, we are preoccupied with having an explicit explanation for why we do the things that we do. A lot of us don't know why. Some of the things we do, we do because we're interested and we like it, which could very well be the case for why you are where you are here. But in terms of what you should continue to do, if that is true, if it is true that you love it and you value it and you think it's worth people having the opportunity and amplifying black and brown voices, particularly black and black and brown women's voices matters to you, you should continue to do the work. You should also be prepared to continue to be questioned. And I think that's the part that gets tough. Like I am always questioned. I am always questioned as far as my professionalism, as far as my intellect, as far as, you know, lots of just really random arbitrary things because I am a black woman walking around in a black woman's container. You used the phrase enduring skepticism. And I was like, holy shit. You've got to endure the skepticism. You have to. And here's, and I want to add this, and I'm going to add another layer here, but Here's the thing. The endurance of skepticism is not just for white folks. Right. right. In this space, it's a thing that I think you would need to do here. 
You need to endure the fact that people are going to look at you and be like, hold up, you a white girl. You got all these black folks talking about women. You got all these black people paying you all this money to help them. With- I'm confused. You're right. Okay. You have to endure that and you have to get really comfortable with the fact that that is going to be ongoing. It's not going to stop. It's unlikely it will end in your lifetime. And in fact, I would probably do a little bit of work to make sure that I could explain why it is so important that I continue to endure in that space. I don't think you should stop. I do think you should be clear enough to be able to explain it. But I also want to say that enduring skepticism is not something that happens just to white folks. Because, you know, I think back to 2020, um, I had um, a really good friend that I, uh, he used to ride his bike. We were staying together at the time. He used to ride his bike up to the local grocery store to get um, groceries, just, you know, whatever. He went one time, he forgot his um, his wallet. He gets there, he's in the little self-checkout. He's you know packing his stuff up, he goes to pay and he's like, oh shoot, right? He's got an iPhone, they don't have Apple Pay. He's like, okay, let me just put everything back. As he's in the process of putting things back, um, what happens is this small little white woman walks up to him, by the way, he's like a six foot five, 220 you know, pound black man, very muscular, handsome, dark skinned guy. Um, and this little tiny little white woman, you know, probably 120 pounds wet, you know, walks up to him and goes, Hey, is everything okay? And he immediately assumed she worked there. And so he's like, Oh, you know, I realized I forgot my wallet. So I need to cancel the transaction. And she goes, Oh no, well maybe they have like Apple pay. And he's like, Oh no, it doesn't look like they have that. And at this point he realizes she doesn't work there. She's just trying to help. Right. And so, um, he's like, Oh no, it's fine. I'll just put everything back. It's not a big deal. And she's like, well, it's like 12 bucks. Cause again, he's on his bike. So he doesn't have that much. Right. And so he's like, she's like, it's like 12 bucks. It's no problem. I'll pay for it for you. I mean, just enjoy the rest of your day. And he freaks. Like, he's like, no, it's okay. You don't have to do that. Like, I, you know, I'm good. You know, because in his mind, I am a big black man. <laughs> this is post George Floyd. I have right. a lot of, you know, reservation around white people leaning in to help me. Right. You know? I've not had the experience of white people being helpful to me. Now, all of a sudden, this man has been murdered very publicly and all y'all are coming out the woodworks trying to help. It feels weird, right? Black folks also got to endure some skepticism. We also have to get okay with the idea that sometimes... The white woman that has a podcast company that supports black and brown women is actually making a meaningful impact and that's okay. We're still going to question it. But we have to endure the skepticism to find out where the validity is. Right. And so there's two sides to that. And 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 that's the thing that happens across all of these conversations. I'm I'm listening to you and I'm thinking the validity is where one of the biggest issues lie because we want the allyship and we want the connection. We want to bridge the gap. But both parties are like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know. <laughs> and here's the you thing look about like it. everybody else saying that they want to help. Exactly. And once you're valid for me, that doesn't mean you're valid. Right. You're valid for me. Now you've got to become valid for the next person and then the person after them. And occasionally you get lucky and you get a patch of friends. Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you were valid for her. So we're cool. Right. right. But like there is there is going to be the skepticism when i tell people that this work is labor surviving skepticism is part of the labor i am constantly surviving skepticism i can't tell you how many people hesitate to give me a mic i am never not good on camera i am never not good with a mic I'm in like, my I hand i would give never, you a mic all the never. time <laughs> but i can't tell you how many people hesitate and they hesitate because of whatever that bias thing is in their brain that makes them go you know i don't see a lot of people look like her on tv or with a mic or i don't see that So that the endurance of skepticism is part of the labor. You are in the process of having to survive that labor. You will have to survive it in an ongoing way. That's a real thing. This was so good. (laughs) This was so good. Good. Oh my God. If this didn't change the way, like my mind is already turning. Like I'm like there, all of these words I thought of wrong all of these things I was not clear on. And this already changes the way that I show up in the world. And it also makes me want to correct a lot of things that I see because I'm like, this word is being used so vaguely. These words are being used so vaguely Mm -hmm. and incorrectly Mm -hmm. in the masses. Oh yeah. Like I'm like, Oh, so we have a job for a while. Yeah. I was like, we're all doing (laughs) this wrong. You have a lot of people to help. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So Amber, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having this honest conversation. Mm -hmm. I think this was needed for a lot of people. I'm glad you guys could be a part of it. And please, please, we showed her books. They'll be down in the show notes. 
Um, but please tell them where they can learn more about you, listen more of your podcast, mm -hmm. follow you, stalk you, and even work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to follow me on the socials, I am at Bam Cabral on almost all of the things. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Amber Cabral. You can also follow the podcast, Guilty Privilege, anywhere podcasts are podcasted. Available. <laughs> right? Um, and I do have a couple books. They're available anywhere you buy books. So if that's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or even your local independent bookstore, if it's not in the store, you can definitely request it and still order it there as well. I have to wrap with this because I was so I was so into this conversation. You are just truly one of my favorite people. Oh, like, you. And I didn't get to say this before I asked the last question. You live, breathe, and walk everything that you teach. I try my best. I, and I get it wrong. You do. <laughs> and when you do, you, do, you admit it. I do. And you are, you taught me through your examples what allyship means. Thank you. Because you have showed up as an ally for me mm -hmm. in my journey several times. Like I have never met someone so willing to hand off, refer, and, and just offer assistance. Yeah. And a helping hand in everything that I do. So yeah. you are everything that you say you are. And I have to say that because I need my audience to hear that one. Thank you. You are. And two, I have to wrap with, I need you to tell them what rich in real life means to you. Ooh. <laughs> rich in real life means power to me. Mm. People get funny about power. People get real funny when a black woman says power, but that's what I want. I would like more power, please. Um, I forgot to say this. You can also go to amberkerball.com and learn whatever <laughs> you'd like to learn about me. But power is important <laughs> to me, um, particularly because I think there are a lot of people who have it that are not using it in ways to make the kinds of impacts that I think power really can. And so I am on a mission to get the kind of power that will make the impact that we all deserve, um, that especially people that look like me deserve. And so um, when I think about what rich in real life looks like to me, it's not the money. The money is, I need it. I need some money. The money is important, but it is really about the kind of influence and connection um, and power and impact that I can make. That's what rich in real life means to me. Mm. A woman saying that she is okay and Listen, wants power. Hey. Do y'all hear me? Oh. Please pass please. it on. More please. <laughs> more please. We've decided we're not going to say more please anymore. Yes. <laughs> power thank you thank you amber thank you thank you y'all that is another episode of rich in real life if this episode filled you the way it filled me tag me while you are listening at jessica hurley underscore so i can say hello share this with a friend or someone in your network who you know is in need and please don't forget to write a review on itunes or your favorite podcast listening platform because it helps us continue to spread the message and if you want more from me rich in real life or any of the other conscious creators that we work with inside epic media network head over to epic.co for more until then i will catch y'all next week on another episode of rich in real life